Welcome to episode 20 of the RxP podcast, where three working professionals talk about the video games, movies, and TV shows that they enjoy in their free time. I'm your host for today's episode, Alex, and joining me are my amazing co-hosts, Matt. Hello, hello. And Tiffany. Gotta catch them all, am I right? (laughs) So timely. Maybe, but yeah, it takes a lot of time to do that. Uh, Before we get into today's show, which was alluded to by Tiffany in her intro there, we had a listener write in to uh, my call for what are some examples of great boats in video games. And uh, the listener that wrote in is James. And James said, remind me that Black Flag exists and Black Flag being Assassin's Creed 4 and that boats were an enjoyable central mechanic to that game one that livened up an otherwise generic Ubisoft title. Wind Waker's issue was the tedium of steering the boat, which was addressed in the HD remake. And I'd say, yeah, Black Flag, I definitely agree with you, James. It is a great example of how a boat can add to the experience of the game. And I know they continue that in uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which had a lot of boat involvement, obviously due to there being kind of a lot of Uh, islands in the Mediterranean and that being a core mechanic there and also something that Ubisoft is looking to continue in Skull and Bones uh, which is a core just boat versus boat combat game but that has been in development for god knows how long so is that even happening anymore I think in a recent I guess investors call or some sort of shareholder meeting they did mention it's still in development Wow. Okay. So they are intending for Skull and Bones to come out, which will hopefully prove that boats can be great in games, but we'll see. I don't know. But also, I would like to point out the one write-in, albeit as great as Black Flag is, does not make great boats in all games. And so I think this is proof to my point that boats, for the most part, are not great in games, but... If any other you know listeners what? out there have uh, more boats to suggest, write into rxp underscore podcast, which is our Twitter, or rxp.podcast at gmail.com, and let me know. Put me on blast. I'm ready to be proven you know, wrong. I feel like I am a listener. I listen to your edit every week to make sure you know I don't have my washer and dryer in the background and my neighbors aren't too loud. <laughs> so I feel like I count as a listener at this point. Sure. Let me tell you, Sea of Thieves, that is a great game. And it's it's tedious in a way, but man, it's so much fun. You're, you're going, you're drinking some grog, you're playing some um, accordion or some say what some guitar thing yeah you're, you're doing all these things with their pals and then you look and you're about to hit a rock and like you're all trying to like stumble over each other to like pull every pull the sails the right way so much fun um and then also let's not forget spirit fairer what a delightful time that entire game was and it's all in a boat and even when you're traveling you can fish you can do all these things it was just magical Touché. adventure i I am pro boat, you know, pro boat 2021. Listen. And God of War coming straight from that. That's that's like the lore train, you know what I mean? You're just chilling in that boat talking to Mimir about some Norse mythology and you're not getting onto the dock because you're just waiting. Just waiting for him to finish the story. So, it's, it's good stuff on a boat. Okay, just really quick interjection for Spirit Fair. 
that you're like not even controlling the boat really you know you pick a destination and let it take you there which you know i'm all about like just take me there and let me do my own thing you know on the way um and mimir mimir's stories in god of war are pretty cool they are all right my my co-hosts have presented some fair points, and I I would like to concede that yes, I do agree. Spearfair's boat, <laughs> what a jolly time! Just building those rooms for your passengers and interacting with them, hugging them on the boat, right? Oh, love them hugs. And oh. and uh, Mimir's stories, you know, traveling the Lake of Nine and just hearing the the lore and background of the the gods of the realms and everything. I do agree with that. Sea of Thieves, though, I mean, you're just plugging holes. That The only time, the only clips I see of Sea of Thieves are plugging holes in the boat, and that does not seem like a fun time when you're just like, there's a leak, we gotta bucket out the water and plug the holes. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying, but anywho. Uh, now then, uh, for today's show, we're, we have a little bit of a different format than previous episodes uh, that we would like to call Specifics. Now, for those of you that don't know, I work at the USPTO, which is the United States Patent and Trademark Office, as a patent examiner and uh, examining patent applications. And one of the most important parts of a patent application is called the specification, which includes the background and details of the invention being uh, seeking to be patented. In specifics, we will take a deep dive into a game, movie, or TV show and what makes it great and also what could be fixed for the future, hence the name specifics. And as Tiffany alluded to earlier, in celebration of a certain Nintendo franchise uh, 25th anniversary, today's specifics will be all about the Pokemon franchise. Pokemon! Mm. And now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of uh, what we enjoy about Pokemon and also potentially the things that we could see be improved about it, uh, listeners of, of previous episode of the podcast might remember a segment that we called uh, the confidence auction where Tiffany and I went head to head in trivia questions that Matt presented to us about various aspects about the Zelda franchise. And for those of you keeping track out there, I am no one's in the keeping lead. track. I am no currently one in is the keeping lead track with one point. <laughs> no one and is keeping Tiffany's track. at zero. And Albeit, although Matt was the host for that episode, he is also at zero. And so today <laughs> we are going to be continuing keeping track of this score with me in the lead currently by playing another round of confidence auction related to the Pokemon franchise. This is where I'm going to shine. I feel it. I hope so. I believe in you, Tiffany. I believe in you a whole lot more than I believe in myself <laughs> with this topic. Now then, I have three questions uh, to present to my co-hosts here, and they are in the similar fashion as the last confidence auction, which I'll briefly explain again. Uh, I'll be asking each of my co-hosts a question, and they will be taking turns going back and forth, claiming and betting how many of the possible answers that they can correctly guess in response to my question, and the 
player that ends up betting higher than the other one before the other player concedes uh, will then have to list out all the guesses. And if they get all of the guesses up until the number they bet correct, they'll earn a point. The moment they guess one incorrectly, the other player will earn a point. So it's kind of a game of chicken to see who's more confident about how many answers they remember correctly. And to start things off simply, my first question from my co-hosts here are, how many of the Pokemon starters can you list? And as a back backdrop for this, I have 25. There are a maximum potential 25 starters. I am not including Let's Go Pikachu or Eevee in this list. So this is generations one through eight. And to be fair, because I think there might be a little bias in this question, I'll start off with Matt first. All right, let's uh, start pretty conservative. Let's say uh, 10. I'm going to say 12. Like, I'm pretty sure that Tiffany knows all of these, <laughs> potentially. Um, let's see, 12. Yeah, uh, 14. 18. All right, go ahead. <laughs> okay, buckle up. Here we go. Okay, Squirtle, Charmander, Bulbasaur, Chikorita, Cyndaquil, and Totodile, Tepig, Oshawott, Snivy, Scorbunny, Litten, Rowlet, Sobble, Poplio. Oh boy, now it's getting shaky. How many do I have? You have fourteen. I, I need four more. Um, You're doing great. Okay, let me see here. Um, wow. Oh, Fennekin, Froki, um, Chimchar. And did I name the leaf starter from the most from Sword and Shield? I'm going to say, um, oh my god. And the tension is okay. Wait, hold on, hold on. One more to go. I just have one more to name. And it's going to be the, the, I don't think I said the green, or the green, the leaf starter. <laughs> the green one. The green one from, oh, Turtwig. Yes. Woo! Nice. 18. 18. Oh, nice. that you was You didn't rough. even name Piplup. Oh, my Piplup God. Piplup was great. Oh, Piplup. Yes, so and I did cover... not. Yeah, that was to wrong. cover some of the ones that Tiffany did not mention, Pikachu, which is the starting out for Pokemon Wait. Yellow, yeah. and Mudkip. Oh, Mudkip. Mm-hmm. Trico. Trico. Piplup. Yes. Chespin. And Grookey. Grookey! That's it. I knew. Yeah. I was like, I did not name the Leaf Boy from the most recent one. Let me some Grookey. Yeah. Um, good job, Tiffany. You definitely named way more than I would. <laughs> so I don't think I could have gotten 14. <laughs> Thank you. Albeit, Thank you. I might say that we've been, 
you know, enthused in the McDonald's promotion of the Pokemon <laughs> cards of all the starters. And so Tiffany's advantage might have come from there, being that she has every single card from that collection. So. Okay, well, I have I have one of every kind. Well, yes. okay, wait. I don't have all the holographics. One of each starter. Yeah, one of each starter, whether they be holographics so, or not. The question is a little bit more fresh in her mind. But alas, she was able to get the 18 she bet. She wins this round of the confidence in the auction. Woo, so now woo. it scores 1-0 advantage to Tiffany. Yeah. Now, to get things a little bit more difficult. Oh, is it spicy? Uh, oh, good. The next question, <laughs> which, again, I will start with Matt uh, to give his first bet, is how many of the Pokemon regions can you name? And oh. there are a maximum of eight. Huh. You know, I think I can name one. I can name four. <laughs> I cannot name four? I don't know these regions. We got Canada, Mexico. Uh, fine, go say four. Okay, Johto and Kanto, you know... Red and blue and Yeah, I know. Gold and silver, you know what I mean? And then Sinnoh. And oh, yeah. the most recent one I cannot remember. So I'm gonna say is it Unova? It's not Unova, but Unova is one of the regions. So you well, got the four. No, I knew Unova was a nice. region, but I couldn't. Re- I for some reason, like I was about to say Wimbledon, because um, I, I can't. Ooh. I can't remember because it's <laughs> Sword and Shield <laughs> took place in like a Serena Williams a UK style, you know, area like in Ireland and Scotland UK style thing, and I was like, wait, what was that called? Oh my gosh! Could you imagine? Like a Wimbledon version? Yeah. So Tiffany correctly guessed the four that she bet. Uh, so she wins this game of the Covenant's auction 2-0. Yeah, to yeah. Uh, well done. To mention the other regions that Tiffany did not mention, the other four regions, from Sword and Shield, it is the Galar region. Galar, that's right. Ah. And from the uh, X and Y generation, it was called the Kalos region. Oh, okay. Sun and Moon, it was the Alola region. Oh, sh- mm-hmm. snap. And from Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, it was the Hoenn region. Oh, I forgot. I, I could remember the, the um, Sun and Moon and then Red and Blue. And so my three, and then you bet four, and I was like, well, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I'm actually kind of disappointed that I didn't remember remember Alola only because that's when Alolan forums came out and like, you know, it was all the rage. Alolan mm. forums. Got it. Well done, Tiffany. Thank you. Well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. One to one to zero. All right. But just for fun, you know, and for Matt to get on the board, hopefully, but based on the second question, I, I'm not too confident in his confidence <laughs> auction you. betting right now. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> but the, the third question I have, in case it went to a tiebreaker that I prepared, is the hardest one of the three. Um, but again, I'll start with you, Matt, to give you the advantage of how much you want to bet initially. Is So now that you know that there are eight regions in the game, 
you, it gives you kind of a backdrop of, okay, we, we've gone to, to eight different areas. Mm-hmm. How many of the Pokemon League champions that you have to defeat in the games can you name? And there are actually 15 different champions across all of the generations. You don't necessarily beat all of them, but 15 champions appear in the games. That is tough. Hmm. That is tough. Um, I know what they look like, but I don't. Can I draw you a picture? <laughs> no, you, you, you must give me their name. So how many can you name exactly? I You don't have to remember exactly what generation they were, but. Um, I can name one. I'm going to let Matt have that one. I wish you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, Tiffany. Wait, you can't Listen, one. I... I... I live in a world where when you go to work, guess what? Everyone has a name badge. If you're stuck, it's right there. Right, right. And a lot of these games... They're um, not wearing name badges. They're not. But, you know, it's there and it's gone. But their conversation, the text, does list their name. Right. You're right. You're so right. Um, you know, I you know, I become a league champion <laughs> during the game. So obviously the name will be Matt. You know, self proclaimed. That's the league Touché. champion. It's final answer. <laughs> I will give it to you. Because in Pokemon Sun and Moon, that is true. It is the player character that becomes the original league champion because in that generation, you're not necessarily... Oh, yeah, they didn't have gyms. Yeah, you are establishing the Pokemon League. So by the time you reach the end of that round of battles towards the end of the game, you are the champion that must be Unbelievable. So... Oh my gosh. Listen, that um, gets on the board would, with the score of one and having only needed to bet one. Here's here's the thing. You know, last week we started this, and if you remember, it didn't go well for Tiffany. She didn't even get on the board during her loss. So That's you know, true. like That's I'm true. I'm I'm taking this as a positive. And I I told Tiffany at work today that tonight's game is is totally hers to win and hers to <laughs> and lose. Mine to lose. <laughs> so I'm really happy for you. Okay. Me. So I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a point eventually. So one of the champions is that well, one of them, the Gala region champion with the purple mm-hmm. hair. Yeah. And his name is, es- he's got the cape his name escapes me. Okay. Like, so completely. we'll quickly go through all the champions. Is one of the champions that. red? And- is it red? Yes. Oh, yes. Red is Gen one of the one. champions. Dang it. That is correct. I so I will one. go through the answers that our co-host did not go over. And for reference, answers to this question and the previous two questions, I all pulled from the Bulbapedia. So in case something Ooh, is wrong, nice. uh, please let me know or let Bulbapedia know because I pulled all this information directly from there. So that's my source for all these answers. Uh, but in order of generation, we have Blue from Red and Blue. The, the champion was named Blue. 
You have Red, who is the Kanto League champion in uh, oh. gold and silver. You have Trace. Kanto's Gen the... 1. Joe Right, but remember, you go back to Kanto in oh. gold and silver. Okay, yes, yes. And there are different champions there for each region. Okay. You have Trace, who is the Pokemon League champion in Let's Go Pokemon Eevee and Pikachu. So this I didn't clarify, but... In case you guys play those games and realize that there is a different name character as the Pokemon champion, that remake of, you know, Yellow, Trace is the champion of that. Uh, Lance, who's the Johto region oh, champion. How could I forget You might Lance. remember him and his Dragonites. Yeah, all those you Dragonites. Dragonite. F me up. For Ruby and Sapphire, it was Steven Stone. And specifically for Emerald, the champion was Wallace. So I don't know if uh, those names you <laughs> might remember. a nice remember. name. For Black and White, or is this Black and White? No, Diamond and Pearl, excuse me. For Diamond and Pearl, it was Cynthia, who you might remember. She's like the woman in the black cloak. I don't know. She's a very striking design. You might see her in some fan art or just art out there, but I really like her character design just personally. Hmm. Uh, for black and white, it is Alder. And if you're keeping track, in black two and white two, which takes place two years after the events of black and white, the champion becomes Iris, who's actually the dragon, uh, dragon gym gym leader in black and white. So she actually takes Alder's place in black two and white two. In Let's see. I think this is X and Y. You have Diantha, who you might remember. She's actually kind of like a fashion model. Uh, She wears like white clothing and has a handbag like really prominently in her heart. She's holding a handbag. Does she have short, light purple hair? No, she has like gray hair, gray, like silver hair. Oh, great. Okay. Never mind. But she's like a fashionista. Like she's very stylish. Yeah. And for Sun and Moon. The apparently pulled from Bulbapedia, the canon name characters are for the male is named Elio and the female is named Celine. But these are your player characters. So when you win, it's whatever your name is, as Matt got correct. And as uh, Tiffany mentioned, the purple haired, purple haired champion of the gallery. <gasps> I remember his name. Le- Leon. Leon. Oh, oh my. I literally it like came to me yeah. when you were saying like describing who he was yeah and fun fact if for those of you out there that played the isle of armor and crown tundra dlcs for sword and shield previous gala region champions appear in those dlcs one being leon's master whose name is mustard and a previous (laughs) gala region champion named peony so in total Those are the 15 Pokemon League champions that appeared across the games. Obviously, these are I'm limiting these to games, and these are the ones I found that have appeared in games. There could be more, there could be less, but you know, I'm not including things like the anime or things or manga or whatever else might be out there. But congratulations to Tiffany taking that one away. Yeah, I'm so excited. Nice. I just can't hide it. <laughs> All right. So now, digging into the main topic of the show, specifics for the Pokemon franchise. And as I mentioned, right, so these are, 
we're going to be breaking this down into several categories and I you know, want to see what my co-host thoughts are on the things they enjoyed about these aspects of the games or the things that they wish could be fixed for future releases, you know, as we move in beyond Sword and Shield into the ninth, 10th, up generation of Pokemon moving forward, however long they decide to keep releasing games for, you know, as far as we know, in perpetuity. And first off, I want to start off with the narrative design of the game. So typically, the games have revolved around becoming the Pokemon League champion, right? You're going through getting your eight gym badges, you're then taking on the Elite Four, and then once you beat the Elite Four, you take on the previous Pokemon League champion, and once you beat them, you become the next Pokemon League champion. And, you know, some of the games have had some other kind of stories revolve around them. Obviously, we've had all the teams appear, so... Ruby and Sapphire had Team Magma and Team Aqua. And I think it's in Diamond and Pearl we had Team Plasma. But there are, there are other forces at work beyond just you trying to become the Pokemon League champion. But co-hosts, for the most part, do you like the idea of just becoming Pokemon League champion most of the time? Or, and do you like these side stories of the teams existing and kind of running amok? Or is there specifically something you want to see change? And Tiffany, we'll start with you. So, I'm not going to lie. When I play Pokemon, I'm not playing for the story. I've yet to be impressed by the story. So, honestly, I think it would be nice to have a meaningful story. But I also like the idea of traversing a world to become the champion of a league. So, I think for now... Um, until I know what they can do. Because I'm not going to lie, this the dialogue is pretty cheesy most of the time, you know? I want to be the very best, the best that ever was. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't take rocket mm-hmm. science or team rocket science to figure out the Ayy. dialogue. <laughs> so, for now, I don't have any big aspirations for the narrative. However, I would be open to a meaningful story plot. But, you know, not going to lie, it doesn't necessarily, like, turn me off when it's not that great. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I enjoyed the whole gameplay that, you know, the story of of going into, you know, you, you get all of your badges, you go to the Final Four, you do all these things, and you become, you know, you beat the champion, whatever. I enjoyed that so much as a kid. And even going like to Pokemon um, Diamond and Pearl, I feel like that was kind of the last one that I played, I guess, maybe I was in high school, maybe middle school, somewhere around there. Um, I I, I love that gameplay loop. And I got excited when Sun and Moon kind of went away from that, where it wasn't like a traditional gym that you're going to. And I thought that it would be better, but I honestly had such a hard time getting through that game because it. I thought that it was being innovative, but in reality, I realized I didn't care for <laughs> that type of innovation. Um, and honestly, I'm kind of racking my head around what they could do to make this fresh. And I don't know if they ever will, honestly, because they're selling all of these games that have this formula and they're selling a ton of it. So why, why mess that up? Um, but for me, I enjoy it for what it's worth. Um, but 
yeah, it, it is stale. They've, they've done it <laughs> over and over and over again, um, but just kind of like a different skin. Um, but to Sun and Moon's point, I don't know if going away from it, it would have to be very careful and calculated. And I don't think Sun and Moon did it the right way. Now that I'm like thinking about it some more, I think mm-hmm. I would be open to a like almost a Breath of the Wild type situation. Not necessarily. I'm not saying open world design. And we'll talk about that later. I potentially mean the like the original like a time before we had all these technological advancements in Pokemon, you know, like mm-hmm. literally at one point, like creating a Pokeball. Or, you know, a time where all this stuff is, like, super rudimentary or, like, part of the story is, like, helping people or helping a scientist or professor, like, figure out how to capture. Like, why are we making these folks battle, folks? I mean, Pokemon. You know what I mean? Like, why? Like, how did it happen? Like, what started it? Like, that might be super interesting from a story perspective for me. I I honestly think you're you're onto something because it would be so cool to go into a super rural area. Yeah. Them to be able to kind of not even capture, but like just train. Like we, we have like these in final fantasy games. Like you have, like there are hunter classes that have animals that kind of like fight on their behalf. Right. Like, why couldn't you do that with Pokemon and just have like maybe different move sets and like, hey, you know, you have a tamed Pikachu and do a lightning strike and it kind of almost being like a GRPG, which, you know, is all the rage in Nintendo right now. But, um, but, you know, like having almost that and to where now, you know, it's very corporate Pokemon, you know, it's always these huge city hubs. And then, you know, the, the suburbs around it is where you, you do your stuff. Um, but then you're right. It's, it's just Pokemon versus Pokemon. And like, what if you're just fighting monsters? If there's Pokemon in a world, there's probably monsters. You know, what about Pokemon that have rabies? Like, where it doesn't, you know, like, there's so many different things or, like, corrupted Pokemon, you know? Like, it's not above the realm of possibility that this could be something a little bit more than, oh, I'm going to use my level 100 Empoleon and destroy your little (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Right. I do agree with, as you guys mentioned, and specifically as to uh, Matt's point about Sun and Moon being kind of that attempt to do something different where the story was kind of revolving around this establishing of the Pokemon League in this region, right? That the League wasn't a concept that they knew other regions had, but they were like, oh, let's try and make one of our own. And to Tiffany's point of, it could be super interesting if we go to a time where let's say Pokeballs didn't exist. Let's say we didn't capture Pokemon in a Pokeball and it was like pre that technology era. And that could just be a different way of how we interact with them, right? It's an actual kind of trainer Pokemon bond that isn't, hey, I'm going to throw this weird, you know, whatever. No one knows what a Poke- like what happens to Pokemon inside of a Pokeball, but thing that traps you in this thing I can carry you around with. And, <laughs> you know... You, we're just friends right and then they're following us and they've already shown it in the games where they're willing to kind of have the pokemon out in the world obviously with sword and shield they show the pokemon just existing in the wild area so it's things of that nature or just in the roots where it's like it's human it's the human characters in the pokemon world living with the pokemon and also to the point of the stories 
I, I think there is potential for them to take a more serious tone. And personally, my favorite generation of story was black and white, where in black and white, one of the, I guess you can call him an antagonist, but in reality, you don't, you realize he's not really the antagonist of the game, but the character N is fighting for the freedom of Pokemon and really questions why are we capturing them and forcing them to battle each other in the first place? And I think that that was the Pokemon company's kind of one attempt at kind of trying to tell a more serious story of saying, we've been doing this for so many generations, but this is the first time we're actually questioning why is this something that's happening? Right, right. Can we go deeper and answer why, like, why are we pitting these things against each other? And I'm hopeful that maybe Pokemon can go down the more serious roads. And even then, right, because they're doing things like the Let's Go series where it's kind of a more casual design, I could see them sticking to the current design and those being called the traditional, you know, dual dual uh, names of, let's say the next one is Rock and Air. Obviously, horrible names. Rock and Paper. Let's go with that. But they Don't could create Scissors. Right. Oh. Scissors is the third game. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and they could create another subgenre like Let's Go that could be that more nitty gritty, serious story driven type of Pokemon that not isn't necessarily marketed to the mass fans, but something out there as an alternative way to experience the game. Maybe in the world of Pokemon, you know, right? Because it's a Pokemon company, and I feel like they can do that. I agree with you. I, I honestly don't think that the mainstream games like the the classic two games released at the same time continuing the series will ever and maybe this is bold to say but i just don't see them ever going into a more serious note because these games are marketed for children you know like these (laughs) they have a market of kids between 6 and 14 doesn't mean that people like like we're (laughs) old you know like we're older adults like we're we're young adults, I guess. Um, yeah, don't call us older adults. I know, we're not older adults. You know, my my 60th birthday is next year. <laughs> and um, But, you know, we play Pokemon still. It's not saying that. But, like, the mainstream games are meant for kids. So it would be cool if they did a little bit more serious or even, like, more of an, a, a linear narrative game. Like, kind of, not like Tales of the Borderlands or, or you know, any, you know... Uh, Tales games or not Tales games, um, you know what I'm talking about. Telltale games. What am I? Telltale games. Yeah, um, not like that, but maybe something in the universe that just sells a narrative story that goes beyond it. Because I, I think the Pokemon movie that came out that we've all we've all seen, I think it tried, but it was also a movie that was for kids. If it was marketed for adults, like in a serious tone, that movie would be really awesome matt wants that rated r pokemon movie well not even that but you know something to where you know you don't have the classic you know moments where kids are probably screaming in movie theaters you know because they're scared or whatever you know not a classic you know whodunit or whatever you know oh it's i'm the evil villain i'm going to tell you my entire plan right at the very end like the classic trope but you know something more profound in the world of pokemon yeah so it matt today let's dream big let's put it out in the universe all of our hopes and dreams for for the pokemon franchise and family like we're gonna we're gonna make the uncle nintendo please listen 
to our dreams and hopes and make this a reality. Your uncle that works at Nintendo? Yes. Nice. All right. Moving on to the next point. So we talked about the story, what, what we enjoyed in the past, what we currently enjoy, what we would like to see from the future. Next part is the world design. And in particular regarding the world, uh, as a lot of people may know is playing the Pokemon games. Typically the Pokemon company tends to model the regions as we discussed previously on real world locations. So more specifically, the most recent release of sword and shield was greatly influenced by great Britain or the UK or however you want to call it. And so as you can tell the Island design a little bit more vertical, you kind of move from a South position of the Island to the North things of that nature. And also uh, the earlier games like Red and Blue and Gold and Silver were based on regions in Japan. So if you were native there, you might notice some geographical representation of saying, oh, this is the Kanto region or the Johto region and kind of the similarities of how they base off that. And also in Sun and Moon, Alola being based on Hawaii. So getting, you know, that more tropical feel and a lot more islands mm. and disjointed connections of having to use surf or boats to get in between yeah. them. And I would like to ask my co-hosts, are you a fan of kind of basing the regions off real world locations or would you rather them lean into maybe making, as Matt mentioned before, a kind of more classic JRPG style of a fictional world? And we'll start with Tiffany. I love the representation of pulling from our reality. I love the regions that are based off of, um, you know, Hawaii. Hawaii, France, Japan. I really think um, the reason why I love it so much is so that it's almost a little bit more grounded to almost feel like and imagine that Pokemon could be real or in someone's imagination that they could be anywhere that's sort of familiar to a place and world that we know. And I'm all for keeping up with the regions. There are actually quite a couple places that could be super neat. Like, I'd love to see a region maybe based off of Egypt. I mean, I'm not saying I want like 18 desert towns or whatever, but I think that'd be really cool to pull from a lot of the mythology there. Or even like the north, like, and when I say the north, I mean like Norway or Sweden or something, um, you know, because of the north. Norse mythology that you could pull from there or some characters that are influenced by there or the Pokemon that you could create from there. Um, also another area that I think would be super cool is Africa because I love like the safari zone and everything and like the original game. And I would love like to have more, of a variety in terms of like, you know, an African desert or a little bit of, you know, forest or whatever, um, jungle areas that potentially are around there. Like, I think it just be, there's a lot of possibilities and we're not done with the world yet. So I think there's still, still a lot of room to pull from to get influenced by. Yeah. I, I, I'm fine either way. Honestly, I, I don't, I didn't play sword and shield and was like, oh Yeah. This is what Great Britain looks like. It's a 720 world with a 480 tree. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, shots fired. Uh, but um, you know, like it was a great world. But the 
best part about Pokemon games is that you have different regions within the region. You know, you have kind of different experiences. Like you have a water, you know, area or like maybe you have a desert, but also you have like this mountain that maybe you like have some caves or, you know, you can go up and maybe be in like this more snowy area. I, my favorite regions are the ones that don't pigeonhole you into one kind of you know shade of white across the entire entire thing i i enjoyed sun and moon for what it's worth but i kind of got desensitized to the whole tropical thing because at the end of it i was like you know i'm i'm (laughs) kind of over this tropical area um but i i'd like for them to get creative and if that's going to egypt that sounds great i actually really like your pitch about africa because i think there's so many different regions that in different kind of different areas within that region that they could do but like why not do something like in space why why do we have to do something here like do do the moon and then it's like you're going to the moon and in each there's like this big space station and you're just walking through doors and maybe there's a desert area maybe there's a rainforest area and then maybe you know you have some sort of narrative about hey you're trying to do all this research with Pokemon to send back to Earth for some weird reason that may or may not make sense at the end of the day. But, like, why not do that? Like, I, I think the you have so many things that you can base it on. But also, the point of video games is to sometimes escape. And so, um, I wouldn't mind, like, a moon base. That'd be sweet. Which they've already, you know, used moon as one of their games. Yeah, so Sun and I Moon. That's taken. Lost opportunity there. You could do uh, Pokemon Star and Comet. Oh. Asteroid. You heard it. And. What, wait, well, what about Dwarf and Giant? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I do agree with both of you on there being such great potential in places that they haven't explored yet, things like Africa. Personally, I would like to see Australia. I think there's probably a cool combination of the outback being maybe one big wild area, you know, one mm-hmm. big kind of continuous thing that they could do with that. And then, you know, you have the coastal cities along the edge and the water and, you know, the interactions there. But at the same time, as much as I would be excited about seeing maybe something based in, you know, Africa, Australia, Egypt in particular, right. As Tiffany mentioned with the whole Nile river and mm-hmm. uh, all the architecture there, I think in a way it's as limiting as it is inspirational because there's only so much you can do if you're sticking to these geographic locations and how you express it, right? Because at the end of the day, as Matt mentioned, right, as an escape, I do feel there is there can be source for inspiration, but at the same time, I feel like they need to take the creative liberty to say we're basing it on something like Africa, but it might not look like Africa at all. Like maybe general shape, but it could have like a random mountain range where there mm-hmm. isn't any, and suddenly you know you have a snow capped peaks, and then you have this great river just cutting down right with all the snow melting. And at the same time, I'd say if you're going to do that route, why not just create a fictional world or region? Like why, why kind of beholding yourself to being inspired, which you still can, but also just create your own world and 
have interesting geography and also reflect that in the actual way that the people in Pokemon live in that world and kind of allow there to be more creative freedom rather than saying like, Oh look, I'm in great Britain and we're going South to North and that's it. Right. It could be, but, and there's very little lateral movement or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Okay. So next, and this ties in with the world design a bit. And I'd say is a major factor as to Pokemon's popularity in general. And that is opinions on the design of the Pokemon themselves. Uh, and uh, whether or not, co-host, do you like the current designs or would you want them to get crazy? And to give a few examples, I'd say, of things that work and don't work, at least in my opinion. Uh, in the recent Sword and Shield generation... There was a Pokemon based on T called, I think, Poltegeist. And obviously, you know, Sword and Shield being based on Great Britain, there is kind of that tie of saying Brits love their T. And so yeah. obvious kind of connecting a <laughs> T-based Pokemon with uh, that region kind of makes sense. But also in Sun and Moon, they tried this kind of strange combination of Ultra Beasts which I guess were considered Pokemon, but and I think I read in an interview somewhere that the idea behind the Ultra Beasts were that they were supposed to be an invasive species from another planet. So they were still mm -hmm. considered Pokemon, but they just weren't Pokemon that you'd consider here on whatever planet that these regions exist. I like forgot about And those. so I'd say, do, do you want them to lean more in the Ultra Beast side or do you like the kind of punny slash creative design and influence that the regions provide. And I guess this kind of goes in tandem of the last question of saying, do you like Poltegeist? Do you like things like Trubbish? Personally, I think Trubbish is the worst, one of the worst Pokemon designs they've ever made, right? Just a sack of trash. <laughs> uh, I do, for the record, I do enjoy Garbodor's max evolution uh, where he literally has a bus and plane sticking out of him. That's great. But besides that, I, I do think there are some cases where Pokemon designs aren't the most creative. Listen, I agree with you. Trubbish and Garbodor were very strange. Um, I think in Sun and Moon, there was also that Pokemon called Palisand that looked like a sandcastle. And I like I, I adore a good pun, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. And for me, I feel like Poltegeist worked because it was a great pun. And it was like a ghost-type Pokemon. Um, I don't remember the typing of Palisand. But if it was ghost, then it gets a pass by me. I feel like a ghost Pokemon can kind of inhabit any shape or form at once. It will like take over the item in question and create, you know, become its own thing. So in that aspect of like lore building or world building, I don't mind it. However, I do traditionally like a lot of the animal based Pokemon. Like I love me that Galarian mm -hmm. Ponyta. Like so cute. I've bred so many different kinds because I was trying to get a shiny Pokemon. For those of you unfamiliar, shiny Pokemon are Pokemon that have different color typing than natural the not you know the OG color typing and so I wanted a shiny Ponyta and shiny Rapidash like really I really wanted it however I bred like 30 of them and I I was like I can't be breeding like hundreds of these just to try to get it so anyway mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the animal of the animal ones when they take some liberties like I'm, I wasn't the biggest fan of Ultra Beasts 
I unfortunately also did not finish Sun and Moon. Um, so I never actually got to the story parts or the story bits about the Ultra Beast. So thank you for letting me know that. I mean, I like that they were like potentially parasites from another world or whatever. Like, I feel like that makes it more acceptable for me that they're in the Pokemon universe. But I really like animals. And, you know, I do understand that they're kind of running out of animal typings to like mimic you know we got so many different types of bird pokemon and you know it's really getting so many getting down to the nitty-gritty you know we have one that looks like maybe inspired by a sparrow and then we have another one we have yet to see a blue jerry cardinal that's probably down the line but we have you know toucan like pokemon or you know albatross like yeah like all these things um but i do love the creativity and all the names and i think they're great and i just want more i mean Y'all, Tiffany loves cute animal Pokemon. And that's that. I think they're at their best when they do animal Pokemon. And I also think that the quality of the first gen is like far superior than anything that happened afterwards. Like, I just think like, I think part of that is probably just me liking it because I have fond memories of it. But um, I also like know that it's they're running out, you know, like there's only so many animals. Um, so I I kind of like a good pun. Honestly, I didn't think of it of, oh, we're in Great Britain and this is about tea. But I just was like, oh, it's a teapot. That's good <laughs> to me. Like the, the problems that I have is when they're kind of humanoid. I don't really care for the humanoid looking ones. Um, I was looking up... Um, the uh, sword and shield uh, pokedex and i found the one that i was looking for there was like a gothita and like the whole line of it is just kind of like this humanoid form but it's a pokemon and like it's a play on words you know like with like they're obviously like it's supposed to look gothic in a way um but all the humanoid stuff it's like it just feels weird and I don't like it. So I would almost rather not as many Pokemon and just make them quality. Either quality inanimate objects that kind of like play on words. Cool with it. Animals. Cool with it. Humanoid. Eh. So you're saying you're not a fan of Mr. Mime. Oh. Um, That's a good point. But also, you know, you know, listen. You know, I'll still stand by it. It's whatever. I like Mr. Mime because OG. I remember him as a child. But for now, like some of these other ones, I'm kind of not not really about it. That's a good point. Right. Because some of the starter Pokemon, um, I can't remember which gen it was. I just remember Fennekin, my little cute fox, Firefox, suddenly was like standing and wore like a, like a fur dress and like looked like a witch. And I was like... What is happening? Like you were on all fours and she evolved into I forgot what she evolved into. Okay, here's another example. Torchic, my little cute fire chick evolved into Combuskin or like the final evolution is Combuskin and it was like a fire ninja f- chicken thing. Like I don't know. It was hmm. just I was just like why are you standing like that? I know you had two two legs. Inteleon from the last one. 
like uh, the, the water yeah. type Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, the, the they went water from Sobble, like cute Sobble, yeah. and then Inteleon is just like a water this sniper. Slender. Yeah, yeah, he just like stays in his tower and snipes people out. It's so weird. Yeah, so it weird. is a little bit unsettling. Honestly, you know, I agree with both of you in that. I, I do prefer them to kind of stick to what they're d- designing now. I, I don't want them to kind of stray too far. I, I do think the Ultra Beasts are out there, uh, especially if you look at their designs. They're very radical, n- nothing like any previous Pokemon that I've released in the past. And I do agree that the the designs of the original, and you know, over time, I, I do like some of the more recent designs as well. But if they strayed into the Ultra Beast territory too much, I feel like it would kind of delve into Digimon a little bit because I feel like Digimon oh. was a little bit more crazy with its design. Yeah, so I think yeah. Them sticking to the kind of puns on animals or forms of animals or kind of the trademark Pokemon style. Uh, but on the flip side, I actually preferred uh, things like Sobble's evolutions or uh, Fennekin's evolutions because I think there's something to say that Right, as you both mentioned, you know, they're running out of animals. There's only so many different animals. Obviously, there's a lot of species out there in the world, so they can do a lot of different variations. They've already toyed with that with the Alolan forms of the original Pokemon, right? Gotta love Alolan, Diglett, and Dugtrio. Oh, gosh. Those glorious locks no. are <laughs> ma- not matched by <laughs> any other Pokemon in any of the games. But I, I think the story that they tell with something like Sobble, right, being this, you know, very timid frog-like thing. I don't know what Chameleon. actual animal is based off of. Chameleon. Uh, and then turning into Inteleon, which is this kind of suave spy sniper reptile thing. And I think there's some sort of story that they're able to tell through the Pokemon's evolutions, from it growing from this kind of weird, timid thing to this kind of confident, you know, whatever. I mean, the design itself sure can be turns up to into question. a sniper, right? Yeah, but I think a lot I, of good, good lore there. Enjoy. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy kind of the Pokemon story that they're trying to tell with, right? Obviously, every Pokemon has a Pokedex entry, which kind of uh, contains a small, you know, fun factoid about the Pokemon. And I think there's something to say that. If they don't change how they're designing them, I think they can tell meaningful stories about the Pokemon themselves through the designs and those little fun factoids. Um, something like uh, the Palisade that Tiffany mentioned previously, uh, I like because, well, not specifically for the uh, flavor text about the Pokemon, but apparently the sand is embodied by the spirits of deceased children that died by the waves near the sand. And so the spirits of the children kind of possess the sand and turn it into this Pokemon. So this is also kind of going into the idea of our, our Pokemon, the spirits of humans, but you know, we're, we're not delving <laughs> that into that in this podcast, but uh, I, I do think there are some interesting lore bits that kind of incorporate the Pokemon into the world that I find meaningful and that kind of keep me going to say, Hey, you might be a pile of sand, like a sandcastle, but you kind of have cool lore, yet it's also creepy at the same time. All right. So moving on. So first, you know, talking about the narrative world Pokemon, a lot of these under the bigger umbrella, I like to call the aesthetics of the game, right? What kind of draws you in, but really 
why we play these games, right, comes down to the gameplay, right? The whole point of these video games is you're spending hours upon hours catching these Pokemon, training them, becoming the best there ever was. Mm. And traditionally, these uh, the Pokemon games, for the most part, you know, besides the one-off Pokemon tournament, but we're not talking about that here, uh, is that there are turn-based RPGs. So, you know, your Pokemon takes a turn. The opponent's Pokemon takes a turn. Sometimes they spice it up. You get rotation battles. You get double battles. You get triple battles. Um, but for the most part, it's one Pokemon at a time versus another Pokemon. And in particular, each Pokemon having four moves that they can learn and each Pokemon trainer's team consisting of six Pokemon. And I would like to ask my co-host, this is something that has stuck through since Gen 1 up until the most recent generation, Generation 8, of having a team of six, each one knowing four moves, each one having a passive ability. Is this something that you enjoy after eight generations, or would you like to see the combat change? So I don't have a big, like, I feel like I don't have a horse in this race, mainly because I'm thinking in the sense of, like, um, tournaments and stuff, like, official league tournaments with all those rules, matchups, movesets, blah, blah, to try to make it even or balanced during the poke battles. But in honestly, in general, I'm pretty happy with four moves per Pokemon, and, you know, every game mixes it up a bit with, like, double battles or... um triple battles or you know dynamax battles z moves all that jazz so every gen now and again has kind of jazz things up a bit in the combat section one of my biggest gripes honestly is they keep like forgetting about or not forgetting about they keep moving on like z moves were in alola but they were never seen again in uh galler so i think the biggest thing for me is i wish that we could see some of the quote-unquote innovative combat stuff in future generations and not necessarily just stuck in the one area that it was discovered or invented for um i think that would be neat um but four moves for me mainly because it just gets too complicated with so many different move sets and everything and trying to like i don't know I, I just, I don't want to have to, like, pick through 12 different moves when I'm battling other Pokemon, okay? I guess that's mainly the biggest thing. And keeping my set of six Pokemon, um, you know, making sure that each of them have a diverse skill set of moves to use if I'm in a hard battle would be pretty nice. So, I'm cool with keeping six. I'd be happy with keeping eight Pokemon on me on me at all times however you know the the most recent game in galar allows me to like access my poke poke box what was that it let me like access all my pokemon everywhere so that was the biggest change for me that i absolutely adored so keeping six on me seems fine i guess this question kind of starts with whether or not we want it to be like this turn-based i don't know if we can talk about that later um but if we were assuming that we're fine with keeping the turn based. Um, keeping four moves, I I like complexity in games, and I think it's very simple and easy to understand. Honestly, if we had more moveset, it would probably be too easy. Like, the game would probably end up being too easy because the biggest thing about this is kind of planning ahead and making sure your six team 
is very diverse, like Tiffany said, can, you know, go into any battle and be able to be effective. But then what you also have to have in mind is each one of these moves costs you like an action point. So say Surf, which is super strong water ability, it may only have 10 or 15 moves. So you can only use it 10 or 15 times in a battle. And sometimes for like a more competitive battle, or if you're, you know, fighting against four, uh, four trainers at a time, back to back to back to back, you may want to reserve that for when you actually need it. And so I feel like if you added more moves, all that would do is maybe make it a little bit easier so that you can use stronger moves more often. Um, because one thing about keeping something like Hydro Pump is that Hydro Pump is probably one of the best water moves, but you may only have five of that. And so you have to take away something that maybe is less potent, but has like 20, 25 moves and that kind of limits you and you have to kind of like play it more of like a strategy. So I feel like if they did more than that one, I think it would maybe be more complicated than your your average casual Pokemon player would want it to be. And two, I think it just would make it too easy. So I would probably stick it the same if we're doing this turn-based. Yeah, I do agree with my co-hosts here on they they've hit a sweet spot with the team of six, you know, from the get-go. I, I think this really goes to show the strength of the core design that they have been able to do this team of six with four moves each and it not change at all throughout the the generations besides potential changes in as Matt mentioned the act the amount of actions you can use each move which they call PP um and I think that stands for powerpoints just to clarify that on the record <laughs> uh, but at the same time I feel like it you know we've had eight generations of this 25 years of pokemon and personally, not to say that this is something that they could apply to the main series, but maybe again in another spinoff, I think there needs to be changes to the combat. Like, you know, yes. personally, I don't mind the turn base. Like, they can keep it turn base. But in terms of team composition and the move set, I think there needs to be changes, mostly because, you know, as most people come to realize, as a JRPG, which is what Pokemon is, Numbers are king, and right, every Pokemon has levels. You know, they once they hit a certain level, they evolve. You know, they either evolve once, twice, maybe not at all. Maybe they have to evolve via a special item like a stone of some sort. But it comes down to the fact that they're all levels. And so I think that there's a kind of core problem with the design of the game, especially when you incorporate levels into it because of the classic... If I bring, let's say, two level 100 Pokemon to the Elite Four, in most games, I can just use two Pokemon because they're level 100 and completely wipe the Elite Four. And in some cases, I think there are Pokemon one. Like, you need one level one Pokemon, and I, it just kind of throws the strategy out the window. I beat Diamond and Pearl with a level 100 Empoleon multiple times. Never used another Pokemon. Right. And it's to that effect where I'm not to say that maybe let's change the level system, even though that could be one solution to say maybe let's not use levels anymore. But I think it's something that I've seen and not just specific to Pokemon, but most JRPGs in general is that the difficulty is made easier by grinding. And I can understand, you know, from a player perspective, it's your choice as a player, right? If you want to 
train your Pokemon to the point where they're much higher level than the uh, average level of the enemy's Pokemon. But I think that being able to cheaply kind of get around the difficulty by just saying you spent another five hours grinding in, you know, the route 23 on level 60 Ursa rings or something getting to 100 kind of gets you around the problem of saying, Oh, this Pokemon isn't that great now, or maybe my team of Pokemon isn't that great, but I can just grind here for hours upon hours and then beat the elite four just because I'm 20 plus levels up on him. I Mm -hmm. think there's something in that, that is both, you know, Good for maybe, let's say, the quote-unquote casual player that might not want to have to strategize, but also it kind of cheapens the experience for those that do want to strategize. And I'd say that, you know, I'm not trying to attack the whole, oh, well, obviously as a player, it's your choice to do that. So I can choose to bring quote-unquote weaker Pokemon if I want to. And honestly, yeah, that that is a self-imposed a way of making the game harder or more enjoyable for yourself to say, I'm not going to use Empoleon because I know... Empoleon's too good of a Pokemon. I want to use Clefairy instead. So I'm going <laughs> to go with like a level 30 Clefairy and try to beat the Elite Four with just that. Um, but I do think there is room, let's say, what if they had a team of four Pokemon and six moves each? Or not specifically that, but changing the amount of your team and also the amount of moves that each Pokemon knows and maybe providing a more, I guess... Emphasis on each Pokemon as it being a part of your team, as you know, both of you, Tiffany and Matt, have mentioned to say each Pokemon is there for a reason. They provide something to the team, but kind of emphasizing that aspect to say, if I'm taking X number of Pokemon, I have that for a reason. And so it's something that I don't think has been really pushed on. And maybe that's just due to the nature of the target audience of the game and them trying to difficulty scale uh, that so it's not too difficult to beat, but I do think, or maybe including a difficulty. Maybe if I'd say I'm playing on hard mode, the average level of the you know of my opponents are harder of their Pokemon versus if I'm playing on normal or easy. Or adaptability, maybe. And I think they have tried this in, I think in particular Sun and Moon, where the Pokemon levels of, I think, the Elite Four that you face there were adapted to your Pokemon levels that you brought. So they have toyed with these ideas in the past to say, we want the game to kind of feed back on what the player's doing. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think if they take that and apply that across the board, that, that'll make the game more interesting where it's like, oh, I see you grinded to level 100. Well, guess what? Now every Pokemon on the enemy team is level 100. So good luck. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. So... Who knows, but maybe it's something that they can look into and maybe further emphasize uh, in future releases. Um, And I guess outside the combat, you know, combat being the primary way of progressing through the game, but also what I would like to talk about is the gameplay loop. And so in general, right, as we've discussed previously on this episode, that traditionally it's been going through routes, going to cities, fighting gym leaders, fighting traders, reaching the Elite Four, and ultimately becoming the Pokemon champion. And for the most part, that being kind of the core gameplay loop of what's happening. Uh, But with the most recent release of Sword and Shield, the Pokemon company has kind of taken a different route. Game Freak has taken a different route with the inclusion of the wild area. So something of a non-linear design of, not like a route, but an open area. There's a lake. 
there's Stonehenge, there's trees, and being able to kind of navigate this open area as you please on your Rotom bike and kind of just seeing the Pokemon pop up. And so I want to ask my panelists, is the, I guess, specific for right now, limiting to the wild area, what are, were your thoughts on the wild area itself or the concept of it? Do you like how it's implemented? Do you want to see something like the wild area return in the future? I really like the wild areas. I really liked seeing the Pokemon were just wandering out in the wild so that you could limit random encounters and just, you know, if you want to attack one and you see it wandering, you just go up after it. I also did think it was funny when certain Pokemon ran after you uh, and tried to battle you based on levels or whatnot. Um, I honestly, like, when I think more about it, I really like the wild area and I kind of wish there was more freedom in the sense of, you know, don't get me wrong, open world games give me a lot of anxiety because I don't know what to do first, but it would be so cool if the Pokemon game took kind of a leaf out of Breath of the Wild's book and created a wild area where you could probably, like, you could potentially go to any town in any order. Like, how cool would that be? It's just like, okay, you're 12 years old, here's your starter Pokemon, go! And then you just go out into the wild, you go to whatever town you want to go to first. I don't necessarily want level gating with like certain regions. Like, you know, I like have my level six starter Pokemon and then I wander into an area that has level like 50. This is where it would be so nice if the technology allowed the Pokemon to be leveled based on your level. So like if I want to go to this random town all the way at the quote unquote, the edge of the map, um, and because I want to, and the Pokemon there are, are level like seven or eight, ex- like for when I get there early in the game. However, later in the game, if I ever go back, you know, they're level 70 to match with my level 70. I think that would be awesome. And another thing that I think would even make my experience more enjoyable is that in Breath of the Wild, there was a like a photograph mechanic or like you had a little dictionary in your Sheikah slate. Uh, You took photos of the item and it like created an entry in your Sheikah slate. So this is kind of where I'm getting into maybe potentially Pokemon Snap. But how cool would it be to just like when you're going through the wild areas, you take photos of so instead of like your Pokedex entry being um like dependent on you inner like entering a battle with it or attempting to catch it, getting some information from in your Pokedex by just photographing the Pokemon. I think that'd be super cool and it'd be a fun mini game about it. And like, you know, if you capture it, you get maybe a more official photo or, you know, entry for your Pokedex. But something like that would be I think really neat, especially because, you know, the Breath of the Wild world was so big. Like, I don't ever imagine Pokemon to ever be, like, so obscenely big that I get, like, analysis paralysis about, like, where I go first or, you know, I don't know. There's too many things to do. But I think that would be, like, that's what I, that's what I want. I didn't think I wanted it, but after, like, thinking more about it and playing the games for, like, over 20 years, I'm like, no, this is, that would, that's what I want. I, I want them to be innovative with these things like you bring up breath of the wild multiple times we had our legend of zelda talk yesterday breath of the wild going from legend of zelda the very beginning like they are so opposite that it 
it kind of like went away from the linearity and the biggest thing with breath of the wild was exploration and it, you know what if you see it you can get there and that was mind-blowing to us god of war we mentioned you know god of war on ps2 like was crazy was crazy and like very violent and very different from god of war 2018 and they kind of have evolved hey you know pokemon evolve um, they evolved <laughs> over time and you know they are some of the greatest games of the past generation and i'd love to see pokemon do that because the thing is is i think we talked about this potentially very early on in just mentioning it but temtem which came out for playstation is like a pokemon ripoff but it's basically just an mmorpg so a massively multiplayer um role-playing game so like that is what i want from pokemon because i don't want to play some you know knockoff pokemon i want to play pokemon yeah i want to play with pokemon that i know and i love and i i want them to be walking with me and i want to see people see other players and i want the thing about the wild area i really enjoyed it and then I kept coming back to the wild area and then I started noticing the cracks. I started noticing the crease in the paper and I started noticing the trees. I started noticing how it just wasn't full. It was just maybe some grass here, maybe a a small pond, maybe a couple trees, a rock. Like it wasn't a world that I believed actually existed. And that's what I want out of Pokemon. I want there to be people not only in the streets and in the city, which I feel like they've done really well, but I want to see people just walking on the trails, walking on the routes, and they don't have to fight you, but they maybe they're just traveling merchants. Or maybe, you know, if we're going to really go full into this with like an open world area, what if they just give you quests and they say, hey, my Pokemon ran away and it's like really scared. It's in this cave, whatever. Go to this cave and go do all these things. Like there's so much potential here because guess what? If they're innovative, they've got a ton of 20s and 30 year old people <laughs> that will buy the heck out of this game. Because P. we want, we want to see Pokemon, but I just want to see Pokemon different. And that's the main thing. So I'm getting the feeling of, yeah, doubling down on this, you know, departure from the linear uh, root system and gyms and stuff. But I guess to more go in that direction as well now. So, all right, let's say we have this wild area. The whole map is a wild area. There's no roots. You just travel. There's towns scattered. It makes sense in the world, right? Let's say it's, you know, you have your snowy area, your tropical area your desert area but in in this wild massive wild area then let's say maybe even an mmo uh type of design just that kind of way of interacting with the game do things like gyms do things like trials the elite four becoming a pokemon master is that still something you enjoy or is there a different type of goal do you want or i guess also to expand upon that do you want to go beyond just being the best? Is there Are there different things you want to be able to do in a Pokemon game? Yeah, like I think that the gyms works even better with an open world. Because to Tiffany's earlier point, if the whole map is open and you can go to any of these towns, only certain towns and maybe like main hubs have these gyms. 
but then that means that there's also other towns that you could go visit and maybe you know like there's a ranch here a ranch there um i feel like it brings just such a depth to your character because he's not just some person that's like oh i've got to get my eight badges you know er, er, you know like he's not just so linear that like that's all he has to do he can stop and smell the pokemon flowers <laughs> you know like he can he can do all these things and you know he on his way to the gym maybe he runs into a couple towns and that's where you actually see this region come to life in a way that it really hasn't in a while so you say uh stop and smell the rosellias hey. oh my goodness that's a good one I think that it would be nice to do all the things that Matt says. <laughs> all right. You so, said we're going to speak it into existence. Yeah, I, I'm here for I it second, now. I second the motion. So become the Pokemon master of the wild era. So we're going to have master of the... Never mind, I'm not even going to try and create a, a name with that. <laughs> yeah, but no. I was trying to figure out a pun with Breath of the Wild and combine that with Pokemon No, yeah, Master, keep the gyms, but just let me go in any order I want. That's what I want. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's something to say that gyms are just classic, right? Proving grounds of you're a trainer, you're forging this relationship with your Pokemon, you're evolving them, you're getting them buff, you know? Just think, mm-hmm. imagine like a buff Pikachu. Yeah. And you're testing your metal against these gyms of obviously different uh, styles. And so, yeah, do agree. I, I enjoy the gyms. I think they can keep those. And I guess, yeah, Elite Four, they can keep those. And I, for me, and it's kind of my personal gripe with it, and I guess I'll lead off this part of the conversation, but so post-game. So for the most part, after you become the Pokemon League champion, there's usually not much to do. Uh, there are post-story events. A lot of the times they involve the legendaries of the generation. So the story continues beyond becoming the Pokemon master and you have to deal with, you know, Xerneas uh, and Eveltal of X and Y. Or you have to deal with Palkia and Dialga of Diamond and Pearl. And there's, you know, obviously these are the continuations of the story with the resident teams of each generation. But... Something I usually have a gripe with is that beyond seeing those stories close out, there's not really the incentive to play Pokemon beyond uh, becoming the champion. And so personally, I would like to see kind of more of an end game incentive or something that keeps me in the world. I know to say that, oh, we're playing these games for, let's say, 20, 30, 40 hours. And by the time you become the Pokemon champion, you're like, oh, I don't I don't need to do this anymore. But are there things for you guys that you would like to see kind of after becoming the champion that could keep you around to, let's say, logging in? Not necessarily every day after that, but like once a week. Do you want to see some sort of, and not to say that becomes a live service type game, but just some sort of incentive to say, oh, I'm continuing my journey. I'm progressively getting better. Or do you think kind of ending at the champion and kind of the small story tidbits is enough to satisfy your, your sweet tooth? So I would like to def- to talk about my favorite Pokemon generation, Gold and Silver, which is Gen 2. Now, the thing with that one is like you beat the Johto region, you, be- you beat the champion, you get all your badges, etc. And then you get to travel to Kanto and do it all over again. That literally blew my like 13-year-old mind. Like I mm. 
I freaking loved it. I was like, whoa, I get to go back to my old stomping grounds. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I think that's really neat. I honestly would kind of love like an ultimate Pokemon, ge- you know, the next game that comes out. It's like me just going, like getting on a plane and flying to other regions and just redoing it. Like mainly because of the nostalgia of knowing those gym leaders, you know, keep some of them the same, maybe change them out. You know, if this is like a decade, you know, if the game's taking place chronologically a decade later or something, right. To show some neat things that have changed Mm -hmm. or some things that are just, you know, steady, straight and steady. Um, However, I, you know, the whole logo or the biggest, the big motto, not the logo, the, the motto and slogan of, Pokemon is got to catch them all. So if you haven't caught all of them in your Pokedex, like why isn't finishing or finishing battling the elite four and then becoming champion, you know, collecting the rest. Like, why isn't that motivation enough for you? You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need, you know, extended narrative story behind it to be completely honest. Uh, at the end of Sword and Shield, you, like, do a little bit extra to, like, get a legendary Pokemon. And you meet these wacko characters called, like, Shield Word and Swordbert or something. Like, these weird <laughs> princely f- dudes that have corny, cheesy names. And that story just felt very haphazard at the end of it. So I just, I wasn't impressed. So, you know, after I, I become the champion, I don't necessarily need a, a story to tide me over at the end. Yeah, I I think it would be awesome. I, I enjoy hard games just in general. Like, Dark Souls is one of my favorite. And so I like a little challenge. I feel like Pokemon would be perfect for, like, and I don't know if they've done this before, like, in any any of the Pokemon games. So maybe this is old news. Um, but it'd be awesome if we had like a hundred level trial or something to where you're fighting through dungeons and like each dungeon is a little bit different and it's all like maybe procedurally generated and like you gain like maybe a little bit of health back or maybe like every five or 10 levels you gain a potion and herb. You know, there's a nurse at, you know, every 10 levels or something. And to get to that final 100 level, you get something. And I don't know what that is. Like, you know, whether that's a legendary or whether it's, you know, something else. I I don't know. Um, But I think that would be really cool and a neat idea. Because, like, it would make sense. Like, that would give you something to battle for beyond just grinding to get to a level 100. I do, I enjoy completing. I, um... My biggest gripe is when not all Pokemon are in the game. I I just prefer all of them to be there so you can, like, truly catch them all. Um, So hopefully that's there. But if not, just something to grind for. Because once you finish the game, which, to be honest, I didn't finish Sword and Shield because I didn't want to. (laughs) Um, But I I was actually at the final boss. I was about to face Leon, which now I remember his name. Um, But, you know, it's... There's no, I got what I wanted out of that story. Um, and usually after it, I don't do much grinding. I kind of hang up my hat and say, you know what? That was a game. It was good or it was bad, whatever. But, you know, it's done and I'm going to move on to something else. Because it really doesn't grip me. The end game doesn't grip me. 
he hangs up that backpack, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, the Pokemon games do in some generations have a sort of post game grind. Uh, I think it's called the battle tower. So I don't think it has appeared in every generation, but it's something like you said, where it's a series of floors that you escalate and it's not a dungeon though. It's just kind of a trainer fight uh, consecutively uh, throughout the floors. And so it's kind of similar to what you're thinking of, you know, make gotcha. it like, how far can you go? Can you reach floor five, floor 10, floor 20? And there is that system. Uh, but I do like what you mentioned. I do think that that could be something interesting of instead of something like the battle tower, where it's only kind of trainer only battles, I do think maybe some sort of procedural generation kind of gauntlet would be cool, or maybe even mm-hmm. along the lines of some sort of uh, maybe puzzly slash restricted type battles where let's say for this set of matches, you're going to face seven trainers in a row and you can only use water type Pokemon. And it could be something yeah, like, awesome. oh, I'm now restricted to only using water type. They can be dual type, so I could have like a water ghost or something or any other typing, but one aspect of the Pokemon has to be water. And it could be these these interesting challenges of I have to get through these this many trainers using specifically this restraint of my Pokemon typing. And I think that kind of plays into the interesting nature of how some Pokemon can actually learn some really crazy moves. Um, in particular... One of my favorite Pokemon of all time, Chandelure, which is the ghost chandelier. Uh, as Tiffany mentioned, of just ghosts inhabiting inanimate <laughs> objects, uh, can actually learn a grass type move called Energy Ball. And so, and typically, Chandelure is a ghost fire type. So you think about that and you're like, it can learn in a grass type move. And it's that kind of funny thing of, oh, you know, if the opponent throws a water Pokemon at me, and let's say I have enough speed, right, so my Chandler acts before their Pokemon, surprise, I have a Grass-type move that's super effective against your Water-type. And so I think there are a lot of kind of hidden, interesting ways that the Pokemon company has balanced the Pokemon to say, oh, yeah, they made the conscious decision to let Chandelure learn that move. And so you can get these kind of cool, nuanced designs of, yes, I can only have water-type Pokemon, but let's say there is a water-type Pokemon that knows, that can learn a fire-type move. Like, you know how crazy that could be? And maybe there's a reason for it to say that that specific water-type can learn fire. And so you can have these things of being motivated to be, to be able to use Pokemon that you might not normally use, but you're saying, oh, this Pokemon can use that? That's super cool. And then you can use it to do this challenge. So I, I do think design along that line to get you to want to use all the Pokemon. And to Tiffany's point, I think that's why Gotta Catch Em All isn't enough motivation for me because there's no reason as to why I would use all the Pokemon. And I think if there is something that would incentivize me, as Matt also mentioned, to say, if I do have all of them, I need to figure out which ones are the best. And since I have all of them, it's kind of that cool puzzle mechanic of I have, you know, these, these work. Oh, these don't work. Maybe these work or maybe both of them work to different degrees of success. That could be super cool. And it could just be more stories of saying, oh, hey, did you try to beat, you know, this challenge? And they're like, yeah, I used these six Pokemon. You're like, no way, I use these other six Pokemon. <laughs> and then you get these water cooler moments of just, you know, trainers thinking differently and discovering kind of cool combinations they could use. Um, but yeah, I, I do think over, from an overall standpoint, they are there's possibility there. And they've shown kind of a willingness to try to create interesting things. 
And on a side note, I kind of like Swordbert and Shieldbert or whatever. <laughs> oh my god! Because I like the campiness of their characters, but I I think if there was more to them besides them being like I'm we're evil for being evil's sake, uh, there could be some more meaning there to those. But I, I'm not I'm personally a fan of that. But I just wish they took it out a little further than they did in Sword and Shield. But yeah, so I guess that wraps it up uh, for this episode of Specifics. And I'd just like to clarify that uh, this format won't be too often because typically, at least for when we want to introduce it, it's something that we've all experienced. So in case that there are future episodes, we, we want to make sure we're giving you kind of our varied takes on the games, movie, or TV shows that we enjoy as a group. And so we can give you our differing opinions of saying, you know, Tiffany liking it one way versus me, you know, me liking it one and then Matt liking another. Um, but let us know if there are things that you would like to hear our opinions on and we can cover in future episodes by writing into rxp.podcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at RXP underscore podcast. And on top of that, let us know if there are things that you think Pokemon can change or things that you love of Pokemon that you don't want to change for the future. Uh, Cause definitely it being 25 years old now, happy 25th anniversary Pokemon. Happy birthday Pokemon. You, you can finally rent a car. Congrats. Nice. Uh, <laughs> that you know we've stuck by you all these years and we hope to stick by for the future but we hope you can also evolve beyond what you've uh, shown us already nice so with that take care everyone what if it needs like a stone to evolve which they call pp let me some grookey